Tonight we're going to be in Psalms 33, uh, depending on uh, if we get past the first three verses, I <laughs> uh, haven't decided if we'll be able to yet, uh, we may get through it, but it's a, it's a good psalm. Uh, there is some, uh, I guess, uh, not debate, but some talk about exactly who the author is of this psalm. It doesn't uh, really say it's of David. I think there's some things that uh, kind of show that it's from David, but it, it doesn't actually say uh, that it is. But let's read Psalms 33, and we'll, we'll talk about it as we, as we go through. It says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise, uh, uh, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the heart. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart uh, to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their work. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by the great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Their soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts shall rejoice in Him because we have trusted in His holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Um, now, as we start this psalm, there's something interesting about this psalm. Um, to me, it kind of breaks up in different sections. Um, but it's really addressed to a nation, a nation that needs to praise God, a nation needs to come to God or, and even come back to God. And I think there's a lot of things that we can learn from this psalm uh, just as God's people, but also as a nation. We see things, uh, direction our nation is going. We see how um, morals are getting, some things that's taking place. And I think there's a lot of uh, things in this psalm that can help with that if we would just follow it. But let's look at verses 1 through 3. He says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the heart. Make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully. With a shout of joy. Now, notice he starts out here just by a, just kind of a glance. Um, it might look like it's talking about bringing 
praise to God or rejoice and, and have joy toward God. But he's actually talking about here that we need to rejoice because we're in the Lord. And there's some things to rejoice about, isn't there? He says here, rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous. Because he says, for praise from the upright is beautiful. So we need to realize what being in the Lord actually means. We need to rejoice. We need to be happy. We need to find joy. And no matter what we find going on in our lives, no matter what we're stressed about, no matter what worry comes along, anxiety comes along, problem comes along, we can rejoice simply because we're in the Lord. And no matter what comes our way, as long as we stay true to Him and stay in the Lord where all those spiritual blessings are, then really, what can happen to us? I mean, what, what really can a uh, terrible thing can end up? You know, we always talk about the worst thing somebody can do to us. Say, well, they could kill us. Well, is that going to be so bad if we're in the Lord? I mean, when you really think about it, there's nothing that this world can do that should take away our ability and our willingness to want to rejoice because we're in the Lord. And the praise from the upright is beautiful. You know, it is a wonderful thing to, to see someone that's actually happy, that's actually rejoicing, that's actually uh, uh, finding things praiseworthy. That's a Christian. Sometimes Christians don't do that. Sometimes Christians are the opposite. They're, we're the most miserable human beings on the face of the earth. That we look miserable all the time, we look sour all the time, we look like, you know, life is just horrible. And, oh, and sometimes we think we have to be that way. We have to be just this, this uh, to where it just looks like life is miserable to us because, you know, it, it kind of reminds me, sometimes we act like the Pharisees did. You know, they, they, they like to beat themselves up and talk about how they were fasting and talk about all the sacrifices they made. And they wanted people to look at them and say, oh, they must be so righteous because look how miserable they're living. They're, they're making such a great sacrifice and their life's miserable and they're doing that for the Lord. Oh, they must be great. That's not what Christianity is about. We should rejoice, shouldn't we? We should be happy. We, we, we shouldn't be miserable. Even when we go through miserable things and we feel miserable, we should still always remember that we're in the Lord. That when those floods come, those, those, that wind blows and that rain comes and that storm just beating on that house, we remember one thing. We're on the rock. And that makes all the difference in the world. And many times that's something that we that we forget about. So once we realize that we're, we're in that position to do that, that we're in a, have that opportunity to do that, he tells us, to do, uh, tells us something else. He says, Praise the Lord with the heart. Make melody to him with an instrument of strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. He's talking about how they praise God. Now, the thing that gets tricky with us is, notice how he's saying do that. What's he saying? Praise the Lord with the heart. Make melody with an instrument of ten strings. That sounds kind of foreign to us. Now, when you read that, what do we usually think? What do you think? What comes to your mind when you read that? Yeah, Old Testament. Old Testament? Yeah, the heart. When you look at this, there, I, I tell you, when I first read things like this, and I've kind of studied this part of uh, Psalms 33 before, but I, I don't know that I've exactly got it right uh, different times that I've studied and some of the conclusions I came to. 
Because when we see that, first thing we think, well, that was the Old Testament. And that really settles it. No matter what discussion comes after that, there's a way in which individuals worship God uh, by the old law, and there's a way in which he commands us to. Any other discussion doesn't make that null. So any other discussion that we can have, any debate we can have about did God really authorize musical instruments then? Did David do this on his own? Did other people do this on their own? Was it not authorized? Was it authorized? R really, when it comes down to it, none of that even matters, does it? Because there's a way in which God says to worship him today. And that's really what we need to, need to make sure that we grasp first and foremost. But most of the time what we go to is Amos chapter 6. Look in Amos chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. It says, Woe to you who put far off the day of doom, who cause the seed of violence to come near, who lie on beds of ivory, stretch out on your couches, eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idly to the sound of stringed instruments and invent for yourself musical instruments like David, who drink wine from bowls and anoint yourself with the best ointments, but are not greed for the uh, affliction of Joseph. Therefore they shall now go captive as the first of the captives, and those who recline at banquets shall be removed. The Lord God has sworn by himself. The Lord God of hosts says, I abhor the pride of Jacob, and I hate his palaces. Therefore I will deliver up the city, all that is in it. So when we read this, many times when we read things, especially about David and, and instruments and praising God with instruments and other time in the Old Testament, nine out of ten times most most people will go to Amos and say, well, God never authorized it. Matter of fact, Amos pronounces a woe upon it because he says, woe to you, and he gives a list of things. And one of them is, uh, who sing idly to the sound of stringed instruments and invent for yourselves musical instruments like David. So we'll go to this and we'll say, well, well God never authorized it. Well, is that a true statement? I used to... Well, how was it? I used to always think that. When you go to Amos, they say, well, there's a woe on it. So David did these things, and God didn't authorize it. So, yeah, we see David doing it, but you don't ever see where God was pleased with it. That was always, and it's, it's usually a lot of people's approach when it comes to that. But look at Second Chronicles chapter 29, beginning at verse 25. He said, and he stationed the Levites... In the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, with harps, according to the commandments of David, of Gad the king's seers, and of Nathan the prophet, for thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David, and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offerings on the altar, and when the burnt offerings began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, uh, king of Israel. Now notice some things we see here. We see a progression of commands. And that progression, notice if you look at verses 25, it starts down here, it says, okay, here's what they did with stringed instruments, with harps. First, according to the commandment of David, where did David get that from? Of Gad, the king of Seers. Where did he get it from? From Nathan the prophet. Where did he get it from? From thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. So you've actually got a succession here of, of, of that command to do that when it comes to instruments. So as, what it appears to me is 
that uh, to say that God never authorized uh, mechanical instruments of music in the Old Testament may not be exactly true. Because you see here where there is a progression of it. But there is something here that's interesting. Now notice it says, you know, and, and David, according to the commandments of David. Now go back to Amos, if you will, uh, Brian. Notice here what Amos is actually condemning. And I think here is what the issue with, with uh, some instruments in the Old Testament and what Amos was actually condemning. Amos goes through a whole list here. He says, uh, those who lie on beds of ivory, stretch out on your couches. Is there anything with beds of ivory? Is there anything sinful in beds of ivory? Is there anything sinful in a couch? Is there anything sinful in, it says they eat lamb from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall. Is there anything wrong with eating lamb? Is there anything wrong? But notice what he's saying here. And the calves from the midst of the stall who sing idly to sound. He, he goes through a whole list of they're just thinking about their self. They're becoming gluttons. They're becoming lazy. All they're doing is thinking about themselves. That's where the issue is. It's the abuse of, uh, of something. It's... Uh, uh, going beyond what something. No, there's nothing wrong with laying on a couch, but if that's all you do, just lay around on the couch and eat all day, you know, that's where it becomes an issue. But then notice as he goes on when he gets into the instruments. He says, uh, Who sing idly of the sound string instruments and invent for yourself musical instruments like David. I think here's where the issue is, and it can be up for discussion. But remember, no matter what side you fall on or what you think about any of this, it really doesn't matter when it comes to how we worship and how God commands us and under the new covenant after Jesus died on the cross. But here's what you're seeing is, he said, who invent for yourselves instruments of music like David. So could it be the possibility that God had authorized musical instrument, mechanical musical instruments, and he told them what to use, but you had individuals who only thought of themselves to want to bring pleasure to themselves, to want to will worship, and they invented something for themselves that brought them joy, that brought them uh, praise. Could that be it? He said they invented stringed instruments for themselves like David. Didn't say they did it for God. They did it for themselves. So it could be, you know, God has always, and, and this is something we stay true to today. Does God authorize how we worship? Does he tell us how to worship? Does he tell us what to do in worship? Does he tell us today the instrument to use? And that instrument that we use is the heart. So as he tells us to do these things today, how to take the Lord's Supper, he tells us uh, uh, that we preach from his word, that we don't preach anything else. He, he, he tells us when... You know, how to pray. He, all these things that, you know, God says, okay, here's the way you do it, but what if we start introducing other things? Is that a problem? I think the problem then is the same problem today. I think then they were doing things that God told them not to do. They were inventing things for themselves to make their worship what they wanted it to be, not what God wanted it to be. So as they were doing this, it's not necessarily the instrument, it's did they create the instrument or a certain type of instrument for themselves or for God? I think that's something worth looking at. But what it proves to me too is that God has always demanded, you worship me the way that I say to worship. And if you do something different than that, 
then here's a woe going to be pronounced on you. Here's where you're doing wrong. And in this case that Amos was talking about, these individuals who were doing these things, who it was all about pleasure for themselves, they were going to be the first ones brought into captivity because of it. So God was looking at them through Amos and telling them, okay, here's what you've done. You, you're, you're, you're laying around in couches and ivory beds. You're just... All this excess, all this all about me, I just want to make myself happy and I want to enjoy life myself. It's all about bringing pleasure to myself. And maybe they invented instruments to please themselves, not to please God. So that could be a possibility within itself. But I I didn't want to leave these verses before we got into the the thrust of, of Psalms 33. Just to have something open, maybe you go back and study and be careful when we say things, and, and I make this statement a lot. Well, it never says God authorized it uh, in the Old Testament. It says that David did this and others did this. It never said God authorized it. But I, I just gave one example, but there's actually several examples where it said they, they were to worship in a certain way that included that, that the Lord commanded. So to actually say that he never commanded it or he never authorized it may not be a correct statement. Now, it could be. I could be reading this all wrong. But like I say, either way, it doesn't make any difference for what we do today. Because if we want to take what they did, then then we could do uh, burnt offerings. We could make animal sacrifices. We could do all these ritualistic acts, ceremonial acts, in which God said to do. And we don't do that today. So we can't pick and choose. We have to be under the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. Not under here. And you say, well, you've got to obey all the Bible. Well, God's, God's always demanded the same thing, and the same thing is obedience. Now, they did it a different way than we do it here, but God still demanded you do it this way or there's consequences. You know, to say, I mean, here's, I guess, what I'm getting to. To say David did something that God didn't authorize him to do and worship God that way, there would be consequences for that, wouldn't they? That's sin. I mean, that, that would be sin against God. We, we have record, and we say, well, maybe he did. We've got where David repented uh, of Bathsheba, and we see where he sinned when he took the senses. We see different times in David's life where he sinned, and this very well could be one. But you have to see for him to be a man after God's own heart and be in a right relationship with God, if he does something that God didn't authorize, then that's missing the mark. That's transgression of the law. Did he transgress the law when he did that? That's just some questions that we have to, uh, have to ask ourselves. Any thoughts on this before we go on? We could spend the whole time on this, you know, and talk about mechanical instruments and music, but I think we all understand the, the, what the covenant that we're under and why we don't, but I think sometimes it gets a little bit fuzzy to us when it becomes in the Old Testament exactly uh, what they did and what God authorized sometimes. Any thoughts before we move on? Nobody's going to touch that one, huh? Okay. As we go into verse 4, I want us to think about, to me, this is where he really gets into talking to a nation. And he's actually going to tell a list of things that uh, some reasons why the individual should trust God. And he goes in and gives different reasons why. And, and I think these are things that we can look when it comes to our nation. Because look at our nation. The, the morals are declining. And you may say, well, we, we live in a godless nation because we're getting farther and farther away from God. 
And there's things that are evident of that. There's things that are evident that we we're pushing God to the, to the side. But then again, you may say, well, uh, it's not the fact that uh, it's a godless nation. It's a too many God nation. <laughs> In other words, there, there's too many gods that people worship. There, there's idol worship. There's will worship. There, there's too many things in which they, they place as God instead of the one true God. That could very well be the problem. But either way that it is, it does become an issue to where I think it's harder to maybe for ourselves sometimes or to convince those in the world of how they need to trust God. But I think here in Psalms 33, it goes through some very, I think, some uh, uh, pretty good evidence of why God can be trusted. Uh, let's look at verse 4 to begin with. It says, For the word of the Lord is right, and all His work is done in truth. You know, to say that God is right is to say that God has all the right answers. So he starts off by saying, one, one reason that you can trust God, one reason you can praise God, one reason, as he says in verse, verses 1 through 3, that we can rejoice as being in the Lord. We can rejoice as, as, as being uh, um, shown and, and taught to be righteous and righteous in the Lord and, and upright in the Lord. And, and how we can bring praises to God is that we understand that the word of the Lord is right. And all his work is done in truth. There's never anything that we can read in God's word that we can find that's wrong. Does God say anything that's wrong? Does God tell us anything to do that's not good for us? Does he tell us the truth where if you do these things, here's the things that's going to happen. If you don't do those things, here's the things that's going to happen. You have the choice to do it or not to do it. But here, here it is laid out. I think it's a wonderful thing to see that, that God is right in the things that He does. I mean, think about it. When we go to Him in prayer and then we read uh, through His Word, that's different than talking to a friend or talking to a family or talking to a co-worker and you're trying to get advice from them. Could that person be wrong? Well, yeah. They may have the best interest. We can take Job's friends, for example. I don't think Job's friends were trying to be malicious toward him. They were giving him advice on what they believed, what they experienced, what they were seeing. But what they were saying was right, but how they applied it was wrong. It was wrong in Job's uh, situation. But they were giving him the best advice that they could, but it was wrong and even made him more miserable. So even with the best intentions, we can be wrong, but when we go to God's Word and, and, and sort through our life as we read His Word, His Word is truth. His Word is right. It, it's not questionable or shouldn't be questionable to us. But, and we can trust the fact that it is. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 32, and verse 3 and 4, he says, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. So there's nothing that we can go to God with that we're not going to get a truthful answer. And I tell you, that's and the problem with it, and I think the reason it's so hard for us to trust God is, I think there's times we don't want to hear the truth. We'd rather somebody lie to us. We'd rather somebody tell us something. We'd rather someone tell us what we want to hear. 
And I tell you, I, I've experienced this several times. Even me, you know, there's times I don't want to hear the truth. I want, I want to hear what I believe is right already. But I can remember talking to the individual. He came one and talked to me one time after church, and we went in the office, and, and we spent about an hour, and we were talking. He was asking some questions, so I just went to God's Word, and, and we, we read some Scripture, and we talked about it. And he said, he said, yeah, he said, that's the same answer. He said, this is the third time I've got this answer. And I said, well, it, why do you keep going then? The first time ought to have been enough. Well, because it wasn't what he wanted to hear. He was going to keep going until he found somebody to tell him what he wanted to hear. And if we keep going enough, there's somebody that's going to tell us. There's somebody that's going to tell us something that we, we want to hear. I believe something a certain way. I asked enough people. I'll find someone who says, oh, yeah, that way's right. Uh, that, that, that's what you should do. You, you, you should do it that way. Because the truth is hard to hear sometimes. But I think the psalmist here is telling us we can trust in God because he has all the right answers. He's the, the, the best and foremost person to go to. There shouldn't be anyone else when it comes to truth and, and anything that we need to know. And that's what we should follow. And, and someone like that, I think, deserves uh, our truth. I, I think, again, so many people turn uh, to other gods as a result. They, they, they trust in different idols. We, we have to get to a place where we trust God at His word. And again, sometimes that's not easy to do because, you know, we talk about the truth will set you free, but truth does a lot of things. Sometimes it hurts a lot more than we think it should. You know, it's hard to hear the truth. Uh, but maybe not hard to hear, just maybe hard to accept. But I think he starts off by saying we can trust God because uh, he is right. Look at verse 5. He loves righteousness and justice the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So another reason he says a nation should trust God or come back to God and praise Him is because He is full of love. But not just full of love, but he notice he said He loves righteousness and justice. And the earth is full of His goodness. So it, it, what's that for? It's for us. It's not just for the earth as far as the planet. It's, it's for us. His love for righteousness and justice is for us. His goodness is full over all the earth. Who's that for? That's for us. So I can trust Him not only because He's right and our nation and ourselves have to turn to Him, but also because He's full of love for us. I think sometimes we don't teach God's love enough. We think denominationalism is, is, is all they talk about is the love of God. They never talk about His justice. They never talk about His wrath. First and foremost, God is love. Those other things come because of our actions. But His action toward us is love, isn't it? His action toward us, first and foremost, is I love you. Then what's He going to do? He's going to tell you the truth because He loved you, us. He's going to tell us the truth because that's what's best for us. His goodness fills the earth. That's the best thing we can have is truth with love. Now, I've heard people tell me the truth that I don't think love me very much. You ever had somebody do that? They, they just love the pleasure of telling me something I didn't want to hear or that was going to cause me to be upset or cause pain to me. They just, I think, enjoyed that. But if I don't... Maybe the first step is to be able to trust Him at His word. 
is trust him first because I know he loves me. And if I know he loves me, then I can trust his word. And I think that's what the psalmist tells us here. Look in 1 John chapter 4. Notice what it says about love. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Notice what he says in the very beginning. Let us love one another, for God, for love is of God, and everyone who is born of God knows God. Why? For God is love. So from, from the very beginning, when we're thinking about coming back to Him or, or uh, getting rid of all these things that we put before Him, that we can truly trust Him is because, one, He's always right and He has the right answers. But even if we can't accept that, it's hard to not accept the fact that God loves us. You know, I heard someone say just the other day, they were talking about a, a certain situation that a person was in, and um, they just said, well, uh, you know, I know, you know God hates those kind of people. You know, that, that, that's a pretty harsh thing to say. That, it, it's not that God hates those kind of people. God hates the sin that that person may be committing. But do you ever think why he hates sin? Why do you think God hates sin? Yeah, exactly. Think about it. I, I think the reason, the, the main reason God hates sin is because He loves us. And look what sin does. Look what sin brings. Look at the consequences of sin. You know, the Bible says when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Well, of course, of course God's going to hate that. We say, well, God is holy and God can't be around. And all that's true. But when it comes right down to it, God hates sin because of what it does to the person, what it does to his children, what it does to his creation, and what it causes for them. And we need to hate it the same reason. So I, I can trust God because the love that he has for me, he's going to tell me, hey, this is dangerous for you. When I read in his word and I want to know and I, I trust that his word is true, his word is right, and when I read that this is what sin can do, and time and time again, he's saying, you take care of it before it brings forth death. Because death is what's coming. That spiritual death. That separation for God from eternity. And God loves us. He doesn't want that to happen. But because of sin, it will for many people. So as the psalmist tells us here, one is that God is, is, is right and his work is truth. And he is truth. But he also tells us that he is full of love. He loves righteousness. He loves justice. And the earth is full of his goodness. But notice verses 6 through 9. He says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done, he commanded and it stood fast. 
God is trustworthy, all-loving, and He's all-powerful. We can trust Him because He's all-powerful. And it's hard to, for individuals to grasp that God can be loving and all-powerful at the same time. Because when we think about God being all-powerful, we think about His wrath, His destruction of what He can do. But look how powerful He was, as the psalmist says here, of what He did. He commanded something and it stood fast. He spoke and it was done. Let all the earth fear Him. Why did He create this earth? For us. Again, that goes back to the love that He has for us. So, But by the same token, I can trust Him because He is all-powerful. And sometimes we forget that. We forget about how powerful uh, He truly is. God is all-powerful and He should be respected. And I think with that, that power and that love and Him doing truth and Him always truth, I think if, if our nation could see that and return to that, as He's talking to them here, if, if, if you would just do this, how, how great that would be. And that's what we need to be telling the world. You know, you say, well, how can I change things? How can I make a difference? Let them know the God that we serve. Let them know that He's truth. Let them know that He's loving. Let them know that His goodness is everywhere, but also let them know that He's powerful. And what can happen when we don't? Uh, notice verses 10 and 11. We'll move on or I won't get through. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Why should a nation trust in God? Because He can mess up your plans. I mean, think about it. God can do that, doesn't He? Isn't that what James tells us in James chapter 4? He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanisheth away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. Uh, what is it to saying if you want to make God laugh, tell Him your plans? <laughs> you know, here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and uh, they were talking about, uh, uh, maybe been Titus, I think, and... Uh, we were talking about, because I, I preached uh, the first Sunday night in, in uh, uh, January, and he was asking me, he said, you're going to do, uh, do a New Year sermon and talk about you know, things in the New Year? And uh, I, I said, yeah, I probably am. I said, depends on what John, how much John touches on it, I guess. He might have changed it some. But uh, as we were talking about that, and then we were thinking about how 2020, there's a lot of, I've seen several online that were talking about you know, 2020 vision and 2020 resolutions and this is going to happen in 2020 and this is going to happen and all these plans that, you know, what 2020 is going to bring and what happened. Everything just shut down, <laughs> come to nothing. Everything come to a halt quick. Even with the best made plans, we don't know what's going to happen. We, we don't know what's going to go on. We may plan all of these things. That's what I tell my wife. Uh, anytime we've ever planned a trip, we plan a vacation, and uh, she said, you don't, you don't seem very excited about it. And I said, I'm never excited about it. I'm never excited about any plans we ever make. I always expect us not to happen, not to go, something to happen. I always, everything we ever plan, I always expect it not to happen. 
then when it does and we're able to go, then I'm just that much more excited about it. But a lot of times, something does happen. You know, something comes up, something happens, and you don't get to do the things you do. So I always say, I just spared myself the heartache. I just have the heartache all the time. That way, you know, you just expect it not to happen. So that, that's just how I live my life. You, what's that? I don't have a deep voice like him, but I can relate to him a lot, actually. So, uh, it's hard for me to, to, to look on the bright side. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't live a miserable life, but uh, I always think of what might happen. I always think that way. That, that's the first thing that ever comes to my mind, and I usually work backwards from that. And then it does make me enjoy the things that we do even more because I don't expect it to ever happen anyway. So when it does, I just that's just icing on the cake, you know. And if it don't, I'm not disappointed, and I always get to say, I told you so, because that's my favorite phrase is, I told you so. So I'll always get to do that. But what, what we do have to realize is we can make the best plans, but we always have to realize if it's the Lord's will. We, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what, what can come up. We don't know what can go on. Uh, and you don't know what, what's going to come your way. Uh, and it may be something good or it could be something bad. We, we don't know until you go through it. You know, that's why I try not to ever say, i tell you what I'd do if I was in that situation. I, I try not to ever say that because I don't know what I would do until that situation comes. And plus, that situation may affect me differently than that situation affects somebody else because our circumstances are different. Everything around it is different. So we've got to make sure that we're always thinking Okay, and it's all right to plan, it's all right to think about, but we need to make sure that uh, we're realistic about it also and realize that God is all-powerful and there's a lot of things that can happen. There's a lot of things that can happen that don't even have anything to do with God. You know, it, it rains on the just and the unjust. There, there's things that happen. You know, we say a lot of times, well, it was just God's purpose. Well, not everything was God's purpose when it comes to... I heard someone do a sermon on that one time. They say, well, it was God's purpose to push this uh, elderly lady down the stairs and break her leg. Was that God's purpose? No, but is that something that happened? Well, yeah, that's something that can happen. We need to make sure that we're thinking about that. Uh, look at verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, uh, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Uh, we can trust him here, I think, because he says he makes us a blessed people. Notice he said, Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. Uh, we're never going to... That's why the Bible says the way of the transgression is hard. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. If we're not following God, we're just making our way harder. We may think we're prospering. We may think we're doing good. But in the end, we're not. And, and we're only blessed when we're serving Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8. Uh, starting in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad. Uh, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So we are blessed, and we need to realize we're blessed. We need to count our blessings, as the Bible, as we sing. You know, count your many blessings, name them one by one. 
uh, that's why I like Philippians 4. I always have to read Philippians 4 a lot because it, it has to get me in the right mindset. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are praiseworthy, whatsoever things are good report, meditate on these things. Because if you don't meditate on the good things, then guess what that leaves room for? All you're thinking about is all the problems, all the bad. So the way to keep that from happening is, and I tell myself this every day, uh, is if you fill your mind up with good things, the bad things won't creep in. But if you ain't got nothing else in there, Something's going to come. And that's why the Bible says, you know, you've got to turn from evil, abhor evil, and turn to good. It's not enough just to turn from evil. If we don't turn to good, we're just going to turn right around and go right back to evil. We, we have to hold on to something. And I think this is the same way when it comes to this. Look at verses 13 through 15. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of His dwelling, He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. So we see here that we can trust God because He's looking out for us. In Psalms 139, verses 2 and 3, He says, You know my sitting down. You know my rising up. You understand my uh, thought afar off. You comprehend my path. And my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Um. So let's just uh, finish reading the last part here, verses 16 through 22. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. He says to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive from famine. What he's saying here, once again, and he ends here, all these things, even a nation can't depend on its military. A nation can't depend on its great power. The only hope that we truly have that we can trust in is God. We don't have anything else to trust in. God is the one that we've got to trust. So as you go through Psalms 33, there's things, yeah, that he's telling a nation, but he's also telling us as individuals, here's reasons you can trust God. Here's why God needs to be in this place in your life because of all these things that he can do for you. So I hope as you take these things that you can look at them and as always that we can apply them to our lives and, and hopefully gain something from it to make us better servants of God.